Welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman. And this week, you know, we've been told to come up with a new slogan for the Bundesliga travel board. And, and since really we, we only heard about this about two minutes before our broadcast, we got to fall back on. It's a league of contrasts. It's the league where, where one top spiel can be a, a pulsating seven goal thriller while the other is, you know, some kind of experiment in delayed gratification. With me this week to sort through Match Day 21 and to receive a marshmallow at the end as a reward, I promise you, uh, is Goal.com's Ronan Murphy. Really good to have you on again. Very good to be here. And just one marshmallow, because uh, I don't think I've ever eaten just one marshmallow in a single sitting. <laughs> well, if, it's always the entire packet. If we make it at least 45 minutes for this podcast, uh, I, I promise to give you two marshmallows, so... Be a good boy now. Deal. <laughs> All right. Yeah. This week uh, we got a, a look at uh, teams who have hit their stride. Some teams who who still need help. Maybe a, a little look at uh, what is to come ahead for a couple of teams who actually didn't play a game on the match day, and of course those two big top Spieler. Anyway, don't go away. All right, let's kick off part one of Talking Foosball with our traditional uh, best of the match day section of the podcast. This is uh, match day 21, of course. And, you know, we're, we're kind of getting to that point in the league where if you're in, you're in. And if you're out, you're out when it comes to the title race. Fortunately for some of the teams who who might have, have fallen by the wayside had there been some results go in another way, there is a bit more time. Leverkusen, for example, have uh, clawed their way back into the reckoning, not necessarily for the title, although if they get very hot, maybe they could get up there. They are six points back at 37. Gladbach, who have a game in hand at this point, uh, are, are level on points with Dortmund, they are both on 39 points in uh, third and fourth position, Dortmund and Gladbach, that is. And then we have the two biggies uh, up at the top, Bayern and Leipzig, those two teams who squared off on the weekend, drawing with no goals. How do you read this constellation? I mean, we've been talking about this tight title race for some time, and <laughs> I keep thinking that something's going to happen to sort of break the ice a little bit, and maybe th there might be a team or two who, who sort of run away from the pack, but it ain't happening. It ain't happening. Yeah, and I think everyone's kind of expecting that team to be Bayern Munich, and <clears throat> I suppose I even thought that would be the case this weekend, and even with the, the cancelled match and the Dortmund loss and all that, those kind of things, it seemed to be kind of playing into Bayern's hands that did that they pick up a win and then open a four-point lead and then we could write off the rest of the, the league season just like they have in the Premier League already. That Bayern are just going to win yet another title. But I think the, this weekend, the results have been exciting. More teams are now involved. Leverkusen are even probably involved in the title race. I, I know, as you said, they, they need to pick up heat, but that kind of result will give them huge confidence and they're only six points back. And two wins and two defeats for Bayern aren't that kind of... There wouldn't be that come as that much of a shock the way everything has gone this season. So it's it definitely is the most interesting title race in years, and I think with the way some of the other leagues in Europe going are going, the top five leagues, I think it it might bring more eyes to the, the Bundesliga for people who are looking for something maybe a bit more exciting than than the kind of usual Juve, PSG sort of stuff that we see elsewhere. Yep, yep. I mean, for all those uh, for all those Premier League fans who I've been hearing it from for uh, 
<laughs> what, seven years now that uh, it's a one-team league and, and it's it's no fun because Bayern just run away with it every year. It's time for you guys to put up or shut up and uh, turn off uh, turn off your EPL and and come over to to the the light the side of the light which is is the Bundesliga and and watch this exciting title race. We're following your script this year, folks. So uh, why don't you, why don't you tune in? Um, we sort of made reference to the the nil nil draw between Bayern and Leipzig, which we will get to in a minute. I think it's 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 certainly worth talking about, not only because it had such big title implications, but because I think. We would be selling it short to say that it was a boring draw. It was not a boring draw. I thought it was, you know, one of the better nil-nils I've seen in a while. But I do think we probably should start by talking about Bayer Leverkusen's 4-3 win over Borussia Dortmund. Not only because it basically inserted another team into the conversation of, of you know, who could potentially uh, go for the title or, or, you know, be a much stronger candidate for the top four than we thought over the past couple of months. But because the game was just so damn good. This was an instant classic, right? Yeah, it definitely was. It only took maybe 20 minutes to come to life, if even that. It only took 20 minutes for the first goal, I should say. And then there just seemed to be goal after goal after that. And even a few disallowed goals. So there was 10 times the ball was in the net, but only seven of them ended up being given. And it was kind of an epic from start to finish. And you kind of feel sorry for some of the people who are watching on the other channels, there was there was Brighton and Watford was with the Premier League match on at the, the time, and you kind of feel sorry for anyone who who stumbled onto that match rather than the the Leverkusen Dortmund game. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, and and the quality of the goals too were just pretty outlandish in that game. Even the goals that sort of seemed to be a little bit more workaday, you know, things like uh, fairly close range headers were actually you know pretty high degree of difficulty uh, kinds of goals. Like, you know, Lars Bender's goal, which was the winner, maybe didn't um, have the sort of spectacular qualities of Emre Johns, one to make it 2-1 for Dortmund. But like, in terms of impact, and truthfully, those those glancing headers, you know, that's an extremely difficult uh, goal to score. And, and what a meaningful one, too. Definitely. And uh, it kind of was one of these ones that kind of looks like it's going in, in slow motion, which makes it all the more beautiful. Yeah. I think everyone in this game is just kind of looking, watching it going and thinking, is this it another another goal? And is this going to be the decider? And even after that, the, the match continued kind of at 110 miles an hour. And it, it was just, it was just the, the perfect game and the perfect advertisement for, for the Bundesliga. And, and it, it was the perfect top spiel, really. Yeah, yeah. I was super glad that they put it there. Um, I understand that there's probably a lot of considerations for putting it there rather than the, uh, you know, Bayern-Leipzig match. But I think fans definitely got their money's worth. Let's let's dig in a little bit to, you know, how they, they got where they were, which is to say at the end of a game where Dortmund were going into the final 10 minutes of the match, leading 3-2, looking like they were going to you know, go home to Dortmund with three points. And then it all fell apart. Yeah, Rena, I think it's probably, what, the second, third, maybe even fourth time in recent months that you and I have talked about Dortmund's uh, defensive difficulties, whether that be a, a mentality problem, a personnel problem, uh, a general um, tactical problem. But it's 
just not stopping. And we even had in some of the more overheated sections of the German press following this match, a renewal of, of the narrative that maybe Beifau Bay need to dump their coach Lucien Favre sooner rather than later. I mean, that seems a bit drastic to me, but the fact that this narrative isn't going away anytime soon has got to be a huge problem. It definitely is. I think maybe it might be a bit much to to give him all the blame because again he's he's not the the one that's out there on the pitch kind of throwing away these leads and it's nothing he specifically did to cause another brush at Arwen problem and I think it kind of harks back to what Marco Rice was getting annoyed about the the mentality shit as he put it I think it it definitely is something that's kind of in the, ingrained in Dortmund this season for some reason that they can't seem to hold on to these leads or maybe because they are that such an attacking team and particularly on Saturday when they came up against an equivalent team, that that they leave themselves exposed because they're not just happy to hold on to just a one-goal lead or maybe hold on for a point or something like that. I think they're, it's all systems go all the time, and maybe that's why they leave themselves exposed. So I think they're hoping maybe Emre Chan can be the man that maybe makes the difference. He'll be a more kind of defensive-minded player in midfield to kind of help out the back four or back five or whatever. They end up playing in different matches with I think maybe he was, it was never going to be the game where he would show that kind of impact because he's still kind of struggling for fitness after his transfer from Juventus where he didn't really play all that often and he kind of struggled even with cramp late on in the game and he kind of seen that and I think he he will be a good signing for him but I think it's maybe too early for someone like him to, to really make the difference at the back and maybe perhaps they should have looked at bringing in a a new defender in, in January and perhaps that could have been what would make the difference in matches like these and maybe it's the difference between a draw and a defeat or a win and a defeat, a defeat in this one. Sure, sure. And, and you know, after all of our euphoria surrounding Erling Haaland and his uh, arrival to the Bundesliga and, and all the goals that he scored in a very, very short amount of time, if you take away the goal that he scored at midweek in the Cup, He's now on an unbelievable 180-minute uh, goal drought, and th- that's got to be a huge problem for Dortmund, right? Oh, it's, it's, it's disgraceful. They should look at bringing Alcácer back and get, get the loan move for him or something. <laughs> no, I, I think it was frustrating for him not to maybe get on the score sheet on, on Saturday, but he's, a, he's the kind of striker that will make Dortmund better, even if he isn't scoring, because he, he tracks back well, he fights he fights it. 100% all the time and he kind of gives his all for the team and he picks up good positions he brings other players into play so he will be the ideal forward going forward and even if he doesn't if he doesn't score every game or doesn't score two or three goals every game it's not going to be the end of the world because he is really a, a kind of superstar already even though he's, he's just 19 yep yep I agree I think that um, that this this will be just a little blip on, on his resume although if you know if it turns out to be a, a much longer deal and Dortmund start to uh, fall off the pace, maybe maybe we'll have something else to say. But that's that's for future episodes of, of Talking Foosball. What do you make of, of Leverkusen at this point? I mean, this has been a team who has really impressed us at times. I mean, they, they sort of gritted out that win against Bayern Munich with a very canny counterattacking style uh, in a game that they you know, really had no business winning, but the fact that they won really added to their credentials to be a top four team. Then they went on that unholy uh, <laughs> swoon in the the final several games leading up to to the winter break, and seemed to have found their form again. Now, um, 
Do you have any faith in this team to find the consistency to actually get themselves into the the, the title race, uh, capital T, capital R, or is this just a team who's going to be happy to make it into the Champions League qualifying places? I think the latter, really. I, I think maybe nobody really trusts Peter Bosch to uh, be a, a man to win the title, unfortunately. Well, the title in Germany, anyway, unfortunately, because the, his team just seem to always have the same problems. They, they seem to be lax at the back and score loads of goals. They get loads of possession, but sometimes lose matches even when they're They've dominated every single other statistic other than goals, and I, I, I think that we're going to continue to see that they're, that they're going to be unpredictable on a week-to-week basis. They'll be predictably unpredictable. We'll know exactly what to expect from them, but we won't know what to expect on the result or the scoreline. And I think that shall continue for the rest of the season. But it could kind of put a cat among the pigeons in the rest of the league, and it depends on where they pick up these these surprise results, like against Bayern and like against Dortmund. They could really keep the the title race open, the fact that they're sticking around and the fact that they're kind of upsetting or are causing problems for some of the teams that are in the title race, I think it makes it all the more entertaining. But really, you're probably looking at a top four finish at best for them. Yeah, I would have to agree, although I, I, I am heartened now that you know one of the big knocks on Leverkusen over the years has been their performances against uh, teams who are also sort of vying for Europe. And they've gotten some good results, frankly, in that department, at least lately. And uh, if that can continue, maybe maybe we will have to uh, revisit what, what we think about this team. Um, looking ahead for them, they do have kind of an interesting set of games coming up. They, they have uh, Union and Augsburg are their two uh, next two games in the league. Uh, and sandwiched in there are, are two Europa League games against Porto. So th- to me, this sounds like an interesting... Um, constellation in that they have a couple of games which seem very winnable in the league uh, and then a couple of games which uh, in, in the Europa League seem a, a little bit tougher. So if they can get that mix right in terms of squad rotation and, and effort, I, I think this could actually be a good couple of weeks coming up for Leverkusen. I think you know exactly what's going to happen. They're going to slip up against you on at the weekend and then they're going to be Porto. <laughs> uh, Even though they've gotten 82% possession and 17 corners. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, it's going to be one of those games that ends like three point two to zero point eight xg, and they lose one nil. Yeah, yeah. It has that written all over. Yeah, true oh. enough. True enough. Let's turn our attention then to uh, uh, Bayern versus Leipzig. This was the other uh, alleged, anyway, top spiel of the weekend, and. I do want to make the argument that this was a game that was well worth watching, despite the fact that it ended nil-nil. I mean, there was a lot of contour to this game, I would say. I mean, in that, you know, Bayern, you went into the halftime uh, break thinking, you know, Bayern ought to be up two or three nil in this one. But also there was a little thing in the back of your mind that says, but you know, (laughs) the fact that they're not means... That Leipzig might just come out of the out of the locker room and and start really hammering at the door, and that's kind of what happened. I mean, this was a game that I felt a nil nil result was one that probably both teams were okay with, considering how uh, how many good chances were wasted by the other side. Yeah, I think if you look at what the players said after the match, they all both teams kind of were disappointed not to win, and that that's kind of a sign of a good draw. That's it. Uh, that the teams are that both teams are kind of disappointed that they, they wasted chances and there was plenty of wasted chances in this game. Both teams had great chances to win, and 
it was probably the most entertaining nil nil that we've seen in, in a long time. And it's, nil nils we usually see in the Bundesliga end up being Schalke and Horta, and there being a total of seven shots. And <laughs> <laughs> this definitely wasn't one of those affairs. I think despite the scoreline, it was one of the most entertaining games of the year, and that's probably because it was on a knife edge the whole way through. And and both teams had great chances. You saw plenty of iron misses in the first half, and then Leipzig came out all guns blazing in the second half and had chances of their own that they that they squandered before Goretzka made a, a kind of chance himself that he should have scored. So I think it was kind of a, the perfect nil nil, but. But maybe maybe that's kind of the perfect advertisement for for football at the, at the same point because I think a lot of people look to it from from other sports maybe American football or basketball or high school and sports like this and think how can a nil nil be exciting but maybe if you, you you put the video on of this one it could be one to point to and say yeah this this is kind of football as as it's meant to be. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was, you know, when I was <laughs> trying to sort of denigrate this game as part of my uh, intro setup of as being something about delayed gratification, that's only if you think that a goal is the only way to be gratified. I mean, basically, these two teams were not canceling each other out in the sort of uh, traditional, you know, midfield battle, Python-like, squelting out all chances sort of way. I mean... As you said, both of these teams had plenty of chances to win. I mean, it, I think I think the expected goals in this game were something like 1.8 to 1.2. I mean, this very easily could have had had scores. It very easily could have been, you know, even a 2-1 or a 3-1 result. But the one that seems to be sticking with people after uh, uh, the final whistle is the one that Timo Werner had uh, when, you know, all through the second half, it seemed to be Leipzig's tactic to sort of send long balls over the top for either Werner or uh, Nkunku to run onto, and then, you know, one would set up the other. And at a certain point in time, one of them really worked out. Nkunku was free on the left. He sent in a pretty good ball into the middle. You know, the the, the commentator who was on, on my broadcast, who was happened to be Jens Lehmann, who <laughs> has a particular sort of style, was criticizing Nkunku for sending in a ball that, that had a couple of bounces to it getting over to Vanner. And he was trying to say that, you know, maybe a ball that was a bit flatter uh, would have been easier for Vanner to strike. But all the same, after the game, Vanner was like, you know, I know that that's the one I should have scored. That's the one that's going to stick with me. How does it square in your head that this, you know, w- was a game that very well could have been decided by the guy who the other team <laughs> decided not to buy because they had some doubts about him kicking the tires? I think it probably would have been the perfect storyline for, for Leipzig if they had have won it. But uh, even after the game, Kimmich came out and said that he isn't surprised that Ferner missed it because it wasn't the easiest chance and Alaba was closing down and Neuer was there and stuff like this and I think maybe it wasn't as easy when you look back at the, the replays it wasn't to kind of tap in that maybe some of the, the neutral fans or anti-Byron fans maybe thought it was and I think we kind of missed out on maybe that narrative that Byron didn't want this guy and he's the guy that derailed their title hopes and unfortunately we missed out on that narrative because it would have been a a great entertaining one, and especially for the the neutral who maybe doesn't mind the Red Bull machine buying their way to the title. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk, especially in light of some of the Bayern ultras, a very, very clear message 
sent to uh, RB Leipzig about how they feel about them uh, using, you know, probably the most illustrious English language uh, four-letter word, which has, of course, made its way into German through uh, movies and television. Just a simple fuck RB. I don't know. That's... uh, That's that speaks a lot louder to me in some ways, uh, at least on a, on a, you know, it, it fits in a tweet. It fits uh, on a, uh, a a nice smartphone camera picture that can be sent around the world. A lot clearer language than, for example, uh, the German football magazine uh, Elf Freunde declining to run a, a, a live ticker for this game, uh, supposedly out of some sort of principled stance that uh, RB and their Financial model is being normalized and we need to fight against this. I mean, fuck RB. You don't really misunderstand that, do you? Maybe they just don't like right backs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was a good point from the, the Bayern Ultras. I think it was it was um, maybe not a good point, but a, a very straight point and a fairly obvious point. And it kind of goes against, it goes with what the casual German fan is feeling that, that kind of, the fifty plus one model is is been ruined by these these types of teams, and especially been ruined by just one team in particular. And I, I think they're going to, fit, uh, however long they they go on, and especially if they keep battling for the title like they are this season, these protests are just going to be commonplace. They're going to, they're going to be here for the next few years until people maybe kind of get fed up of it. Yeah, although there was particularly from certain quarters um, a, a sort of counter narrative that. Um, Bayern Munich, despite the fact that they retain, perhaps if you want to put it this way, a veneer of popular uh, support or or sort of grassroots support among people in Munich or in Bavaria more broadly, that the level to which that club has been commercialized is, um, I don't want to say equal to or the same as RB Leipzig, but the idea that Bayern Munich can hold themselves up as a paragon of traditional football culture against the sort of uh, new school interlopers who are who are ruining the whole thing. It's not quite that that simple, is it? No, I think the same Bayern ultras, the guys that unveil this banner and, and various other ones, they're the kind of people who are protesting against things that they see as wrong in Bayern Munich, like the, the Qatar Airways, For the, sure. that kind of sponsorship, these sort of money deals and partnerships that, I think there are a certain segment of, of hardcore supporters, and especially people who are based in or in their own city. Maybe their families have supported Bayern Munich for generations. They have the right to protest. They're, they're not fair weather fans. They they believe in the kind of lifeblood of the club, the Mia San Mia kind of attitude. And for them, seeing someone like Leipzig coming in is is a disgrace in their eyes. And even some of the stuff that their own club they're disappointed with. So. So I, do, I I have no problem with the, the protest itself and the people who are making the protest. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. And I think that the fact that um, the ultras at Bayern have at times been a thorn in the side of the club with um, reminding them that some of these deals that they sign uh, are, are not exactly going to go <laughs> going to go right up to the to the public without being criticized by by the sort of segments of their fans that have concerns for traditional football culture is important, but how much are they willing to live with? 
when it comes to to Bayern Munich and the fact that they've they've sold their club to a number of different or sold pieces of their club to a number of different corporations and scarcely ever pass up an opportunity to 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 work on brand partnerships in, in any sort of global sense that they can it it does feel a little a little disingenuous at times i think you kind of have to look maybe at the the guys who are the team mobile white plastic sheets in in the, in the other corner kind of to to look at maybe the the two sides of the Bayern coin. Sure. A lot, most of the fans, the vast, ma- the vast majority of fans are, are happy enough to go along with these things as long as success is there and they keep buying the right player to keep cha- challenging in Europe. And I think that's the way that club is going. That, the, that there might be a, a vocal part of, of supporters of the, of the club, but at the end of the day, they're only a small minority of the kind of overall amount of supporters worldwide. Indeed. All right, let's leave that game behind from a sort of overall aspect and zoom in on a couple of personnel issues. Um, the one that seems to be, I don't know, sort of leaping out to people in, in a sort of shareable quick clip sense is 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 Alfonso Davies. Uh, the clip that sort of has been sent around the world uh, for Alfonso Davies was his his chase down tackle in the first half and just a show of sheer speed from that player. Obviously, he's a, he's a young Canadian player who's basically just played his way into this team over the last two or three months. But at this point, watching him also on the other end, on the attacking end, there were definitely times where he was absolutely torturing, you know, players, especially that that back three, uh, once he had sort of already gotten past his guy, which for most of the night was was Tyler Adams, uh, the sort of right wing back, at least in the original um, setup for, for Leipzig in that game. Uh, but when he would get behind Adams, or if Adams was pinching in to cover somebody else and he was able to, to attack uh, the back three for Leipzig, there were times where he was just making them look foolish. And I think the sky is the limit for this dude. I, I was not initially rosy about his prospects because Bayern is an extremely tough place to break through as a young player, whether you're from you know Canada or from Essen or right there in Munich. But I'm a complete believer at this point. This guy is going to be a big deal for Bayern for some time. Yeah, I think so. I think probably the, the skeptics of all of, all of us when he arrived kind of didn't think he'd really get a chance because he was a winger and they had, there were so many other wingers coming in at the club but he's really kind of shown his talent as a fullback and an attacking fullback and I think he's he's the perfect kind of young player coming up through the, the ranks of, in in Bayern that can and in, in Germany that can kind of promote the league to an North American audience and coming up against Tyler Adams the, the other kind of American or North American phenomenal player at that at that age. It was it was great to see them against each other. But Davies just kind of looks like he has an extra spark, maybe that a lot of other players don't have, and that that burst of pace that that we keep seeing and over the weekend in, in that highlights clip to where he was what thirty four point seven kilometers an hour. I think it was was what he was clocked at, and they compared him to the speed of a bottle nose dolphin. It was a, <laughs> it was a strange one, but at the same time, it was a kind of quirky story that was easily shareable and. It was kind of perfectly able to be marketed by the Bundesliga and get out to a wider American and Canadian audience. Yeah, for sure. And and it seems also that like the fact that he sounds content to be playing left back for Bayern, which let's face it, was not something that was particularly uh, uh, familiar to him in his days with the Whitecaps or or with the Canadian national team. I 
I think, you know, teams of that quality and, and, you know, the Canadian national team is on the rise, but they're still in the grand scheme of things, not very good. And the Whitecaps, of course, are not very good MLS team. You just can't bury a guy with that kind of talent uh, at left back. But at Bayern Munich, suddenly when you have, you know, a bunch of other guys who, who can do a lot of the things that he can do, sort of having that as a secret weapon, a guy who can come out of the back with both that kind of recovery speed and that kind of like attacking thought, which he has, there's going to be a lot of teams, especially in, in places like the Champions League, where you're coming up against um, really high quality teams who maybe just aren't expecting getting needled in that way from the opposing left back. He could be he could be a really, really important weapon for them. Yeah, I think he could maybe could prove the difference this season and them going deep in the Champions League because they were kind of missing someone like that last season. They were kind of trying to force the issue against Liverpool and it never really happened. And it was the problem that Lewandowski outlined after they got knocked out that the, the rest of the players were kind of too far away from him. But when you have someone who's capable of bringing the ball forward like he can, I don't think they're going to have the same issues in the tournament this season. And especially if they do go into the latter stages, I, I think he could be a real difference maker, like you said. All right, all right. Well, well, I, I think we're. I think you and I are, are collaborating on on a secret sense of uh, extreme optimism for Bayern in the Champions League this year. I think we got to keep that quiet, but um, I, I think I think this could be secretly a very promising year for them. I don't see those those dominant forces gathering to to knock them out in uh, the, the round of sixteen or the round of eight this year. Perhaps. Yeah, I think they, they might have to wait a bit later on to, to, to meet Liverpool, and maybe that'll be the end of the line for them. But. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, as much as I as much as I have time for Liverpool, and as much as I, I, you know, am in awe of all that they have achieved, it is a very, very difficult thing to go to three straight Champions League finals. Uh, so things can happen. Let's move on and talk about one other game in our sort of best of the uh, match day section. And, and this may well just give us an opportunity to, to talk a little bit more about the team that won the game, because I think that they are, uh, in my view, one of the big stories of the Bundesliga since the winter break, and that is Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, they were 5-0 winners over Augsburg on Friday night. This was... Um, Exactly as dominant a performance as the score would suggest. Uh, Philip Kostic, who has been sort of at the center of things for them for some time, he scored two. He set up another uh, two goals. He basically showed us why he is the bellwether for Frankfurt's success, though. Timothy Chandler is beginning to give him a run for his money. This is a crazy out there story. The U.S. International is now on four goals in four games uh, after the Rückrunde. And, and it sounds to me like from some of the comments that he he spilled after this game that, you know, he's really feeling it right now. He, he says that like now that he's closer to goal, he feels like he can, he can contribute more at this end. He said that, you know, he was talking to Kostic uh, prior to the game about, you know, ways that which he could get set up a little bit better, saying to Kostic, everyone's keying on you going to to the near post with these balls. Uh, if you just, you know, push it to the back post where I'm going to be coming in on a run, maybe we can we can we can do something. You know, it's working. Whatever it is that's going on between those two guys is working. How long do you think Eintracht can can push this good run and can they push it? all the way back into the European conversation, which we thought that they were completely out of for a while there. Yeah, I think they're close enough to it at the moment. They're maybe only a couple of wins back, and 
if they can keep putting in performances like this because it wasn't like you said it wasn't just a, a win on the on the scoreboard they completely dominated Augsburg from start to finish and they, they were fully deserving of, of all the goals they scored and Augsburg just kind of looked deflated at the end of the match and that's how they were able to maybe walk in the last goal with, with Kostic stealing it off Paciencia I know he got <laughs> Paciencia got the assist for it but I don't think he'll be too happy about oh, that oh man he looked so <laughs> so pissed by that <laughs> yeah so I, I, I think I think on track Frankfurt we know they have a great coach we know they have plenty of good players they, they seem to have found strikers that are able to kind of do a similar job to well maybe not quite as good a job as the, the, the trio did last season but strikers who can be counted on to score goals every game and I think if the the fixtures kind of go their way in the next few weeks, that they they will be knocking on the doors of Europe and they may be back in the Europa League because they are a team that maybe the Europa League needs because of their just tremendous travelling support and the kind of storylines around that, that that are brought to the tournament and maybe bring light to that tournament that maybe they're overshadowed sometimes by the Champions League, the Europa League is. Sure. Yeah. Although, man, the, the more often you get teams like Frankfurt who bring, you know, 10, 20,000 uh, away fans to to a, a ground in a midweek fixture at, at a sort of random part of Europe, the more attractive that competition looks. And, and I'm particularly interested in how things are going to play out for them over the next few weeks. They have a match in Dortmund against uh Bayfal Bay coming up another Friday night match. I guess they got to they got to cram in all those Friday night matches they can before uh things start back up on Thursdays for Frankfurt. Uh then following that up with with uh, a home match against uh RB Salzburg, um a home match on the weekend or I guess a Monday match in this case uh, against Union followed by another game in Salzburg. How do you see the next, you know, few weeks playing out for Frankfurt? Because this has been a real streaky team. Yeah, I think maybe they could they could pick up a point perhaps against Borussia Dortmund, especially with the the kind of deflated attitudes that might be around the Dortmund camp at the moment after the four three on on Saturday evening. I think Frankfurt probably have enough about them, and we saw against Bayern Munich earlier in the season that they they can beat anybody on any day. So I think they they are good enough to to get a point there and they are good enough to to get results against Salzburg in Europe, especially considering that the, those Red Bulls have have lost some of their key players in January and they're probably trying to fit together a, a new team without Minamino and Haaland and trying to find a new identity for themselves and whereas Frankfurt are kind of settled that they know what how to play together. They they kind of they gel well under Hooter and they seem to be have started January and February empty. Yeah, I, I think the future is still pretty bright for them. And, and, and of course, we can't forget that they were one of the big winners from from the Cup at midweek. They have uh, set up themselves for another date in the uh, DFB Pokal uh, last eight. Of course, Frankfurt has been a team who's done quite well in the, the, the Cup in recent years. They are going to be facing Bremen, probably the tie of the round in the, the round of eight. Schalke hosting Bayern. Uh, Leverkusen hosting Union Berlin and uh, the sort of wild card uh, of the of the last four fixtures has got to be uh, Dusseldorf traveling to Zabrücken. Probably don't have a lot of time to talk a lot about the wild cup exploits from from last week, but um, you know how they ended. There was a lot of uh, crazy stuff, uh, not least being uh, Dortmund getting bounced at the Weserstadion by the otherwise hapless Bremen. 
is it even worth prognosticating anymore the way these results in the cup are going? I don't think so. I, I think maybe Frank, it'd be interesting to see Frankfurt go all the way and get to the final again. I think that, that could be another exciting one this year. But I, I, with the, I suppose the cup has been overshadowed somehow by the fact that the, the Bundesliga title is so exciting. I think if Bayern had been run away with the Bundesliga again, just like every other year, I, I think more fo- focus may be put on the cup. But it gives kind of light at the end of the tunnel maybe for some Werder Bremen fans and some of the, some of the fans of these teams who have gotten through and it makes their season kind of exciting when there's there's not a lot to, to look at in the in the league table. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I would think that both Bremen and Dusseldorf fans are looking at the Cup as pretty much their only chance to, uh, you know, have a good season considering the way things have gone in the league for both of them. All right, let's 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 take a break and come back and talk briefly about the rest of the matches from the uh from the weekend as well as maybe set up the game whose uh you know future scheduling is 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 still up in the air. All right, here comes part two, the end part of uh, Talking Foosball. This is the rest of Match Day 21 that we'll be running through in in fairly quick succession. I guess the first place to start is one of those games where it looked for all the world that it was going to go one way and then ended up the other. Freiburg got a 1-0 win over Hoffenheim. They bounced back after uh, a couple of losses to to. Pretty poor teams in Cologne and Paderborn, at least by the standard of the table. Uh, they beat Hoffenheim, um, who, who who came into this game on the back of two league wins of their own. They had put up a hell of a fight in, in their loss to Bayern in the cup at midweek. But, you know, all it took was a, a penalty kick from Luka Waldschmidt to take uh, Christian Streich's boys over the line. Any quick thoughts about the trajectory of, of these two teams at the moment? I mean, as I said, they were kind of going in opposite directions heading into this game, and then poof, it all kind of went the other way. Yeah, I think they're both kind of in a battle for Europe at the moment. I think maybe Hoffenheim might have the strength in, in talent in the starting 11, maybe to be the one to, to take that place at the end of the season, but Freiburg perhaps have the the strength in, co- in coaching department. It should be an interesting battle maybe to see if either of these teams can get the Europa League spot. But I think maybe the reason Freiburg won, aside from <clears throat> maybe a questionable, a, a very questionable penalty, was the, that Hoffenheim were probably probably tired from those exploits during the week. They, they gave everything against Bayern Munich and ultimately they fell short. And I think they, they were probably fatigued on the pitch and maybe that's why the, the tackle for the penalty happened and I probably wouldn't have given it myself, but VAR seemed happy enough with it, and we ended up with a surprising Freiburg win. Yeah, let, let, let's uh, let's turn our attention then to uh, Schalke and Paderborn. That was a 1-1 draw on the weekend. This was all set up for Ahmed Kutucu to be a hero, coming off the bench to put his hometown team, Schalke, up 1-0 to win the game, maybe, maybe even win himself a starting place, which has proven to be so elusive for him. But, you know, then you had to have that guy in the foam helmet, Klaus Jasula, uh, rising to head home a Kai Brugge corner kick, give uh, uh, Paderborn uh, a point, allow them to edge just a little bit closer to 17th place. Are you convinced by the great escape and, and, and it's the possibility of it coming true or is this still pretty far-fetched to you? 
I think the last time I was on, I wrote off Father Warren as having no chance, and I think I'll, I'll stick to those. I think I'll stick to those guns because they they just they're still too frail at the back, and I, I love the way they play, and they're they're so exciting, and the, the matches they're always entertaining. But I think they they just their their team just isn't strong enough. They, some of the players they have just aren't aren't Bundesliga players at the end of the day, and I think that maybe will will be why they will fall short. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that that's probably the narrative, too. Although, if teams like Bremen don't find a little bit of spirit, uh, m- maybe they are catchable. Bremen uh, were 2-0 losers at home to FC Union, or, you know, Erste FC Union Berlin. Pretty poor result. Their fifth straight home loss, their seventh loss in eight league games. I mean, this was a toothless performance Bizarrely toothless performance after their big DFB Pokal win against Dortmund. Marius Bulta with two goals for Union. That was his first uh, doppelpack since he did the same to BFL Bay uh, back in the fall. Really bizarre here. Uh, that, that cup win maybe is just enough to keep the conversation around Florian Kofeld uh, in the slightly positive zone. Or is this this league run, which is pretty awful is this just is it too poor to excuse do they need to move on well i think that they came out and backed Kofeld even after this result which is kind of surprising maybe it's a, a the dreaded voter confidence that he's after getting because if they keep getting these results in in the league it doesn't really matter what they do in the cup because a team like further Renwick hadn't shouldn't be relegated especially this season i know they've had plenty of injury problems and and that kind of thing but their, their team and their squad and there's too much money invested and their players are too good to be to, to be putting in these sort of performances. They they really should be getting something out of a match from against Union and it's kind of disappointing the, that the way that it's gone this season. And I think that they, they, they kind of the rope is kind of getting very short for Caulfield and they do need to pull the trigger and maybe move on and get one of these usual guys in that is known for keeping teams up and maybe a change of man in the, in the dugout will make the difference and get them the few points they need to get out of their allegations zone. Yep, yep. I understand Bruno Labadia is still uh, seeking employment. I don't know if this is the kind of job that turns him on, on under the circumstances, but looking at the fixture list, Bremen are away to Leipzig, at home to Dortmund, and at home to Frankfurt in their next three league games. That doesn't spell nine, six, or necessarily even three points to me. I think that uh, this this issue of Kofeld's uh, stay or go is probably going to sort itself out, and uh, we're going to see somebody else uh, before too long. Uh, speaking of teams uh, also down in the dumps, although not quite as bad off and, and maybe not quite as bad off as some people are, are, are complaining about this weekend. Uh, Hertha BSA looked absolutely awful uh, losing 3-1 at home to Mainz 05, a team that had been super toothless going forward for the most part and super bad uh, keeping goals out for the most part, suddenly looked extremely potent and uh, extremely tough defensively. And, and that can only be described as a blackout by the Capital Club. I guess they had to remind us that they're good for these kinds of performances from time to time. Um, since Jürgen Klinsmann and uh, Alexander Nuri, his faithful second, uh, had taken over, things had been pretty good for them. I mean, it had been, what, uh, seven games with just one loss, or, or I guess eight games if you count the Dortmund game when he had just, just got there. 
they had lost to Dortmund and Bayern and, and nobody else and, you know, snuck a few good results. But man, they did not sneak anything. Uh, I think the only thing that was sneaky uh, in this game was Robin Quaison, who uh, basically convinced uh, Marius Wolf that he needed to take a moment to tie his shoe and he was not available to be uh, played the ball and then suddenly sprang up and, and, and scored a goal, which was pretty uh, pathetic. I'm still not convinced that uh, it's, it's you know, uh, DEFCON 1. I don't think that this is a, a team that is uh, in grave danger of getting mixed up in the relegation battle, but um, this was an extremely worrying performance. Yeah, I think it's a bad performance, but uh, I wouldn't get too carried away with it because Matthias Cunha has posted a, a picture on on Instagram that he's his plane is on the way to back to Germany from the uh, under-23, Brazil under-23s that he's been away with. So the the new signing is going to come in and save the season and maybe he'll end up in the Europa League because he'll make that much of a difference. Hey, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I, I think that narrative sounds really good and that's that's all I'm going to say. Uh, briefly, we got Wolfsburg and Dusseldorf. That was a 1-1 draw. Uh, Matthias Zimmermann's early goal looked to be a good bet to be a winner, but you know. Marin Pogacic got himself sent off for uh, an elbow to Alfredo Morales and, uh, you know, Renato Steffen put the Wolves level just two minutes after that red card. A pretty weird sequence of events. Not a lot to say about that one other than, you know, better luck next time. Uwe Ressler, maybe you'll get a goal uh, on your end instead of the opposing end to, to seal a win. Last but not least, we had Gladbach and Cologne. They didn't play their game. Can you explain to me as a North American why this storm was was uh, worthy of canceling a game? Because I didn't experience it. Yeah, no, it was fairly bad here. We had plenty of wind and rain and things like that. We actually, we usually as a household here that loses the electricity as soon as it gets a bit breezy outside. We actually held on to it, but I think it was worse maybe in mainland Europe and Storm Sabine, it's called over there, Storm Kira we had. But I think the reason it was called off wasn't because the match itself would have been a problem. I think it was more a kind of safety thing regarding the, the fans getting home from the match and they were kind of more worried about that because a lot of trains and planes and things like that have, have been cancelled in mainland Europe over the weekend and I think because trains were in doubt they were worried fans might get stuck and they wouldn't be able to get home and I, I think that was the reason it was cancelled and it was the first match I think since 2011 that was called off in the Bundesliga we don't really see these things but so it'll be interesting to see when they can try, to, try and fit it in later in the calendar Yep. Yeah, I've seen too many pictures on Twitter of, uh, you know, canceled and or abgesagt uh, signs in, in train stations and airports to know that uh, getting back from that game might have been a real bear for some people. All right. I, I think I think you can get two marshmallows now, uh, Ronan. Woo! Uh, they'll be they'll be in the mail. Yeah, they might be a bit crushed by the time they get here with the way the Irish Post kind of operates. All right. Well, it, you obviously have no problem waiting a little longer, so it shouldn't be a shouldn't be a big deal. Thanks very much. So that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Of course, I couldn't stop without saying it was really great to have you back on the podcast, Ronan. I know you're, you know, always keeping your finger on the pulse of the Bundesliga. I, I see the, 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 the pieces you've been putting together for goal. You're, you're raising your profile. I, I, I think everything looking rosy for you. Yeah, I'll Hopefully, I try to promote German football as much as I can because no one, no one, even in Ireland, cares about Ireland Irish football. So we have to try and look at look a bit more white a white screen than than that. So uh, the Irish league is is starting back this weekend. That should be something to look forward to. League of Ireland. So I'll I'll have plenty on my plate for the rest of the year. 
Super. You can follow Ronan and his uh, exploits covering German and Irish football on Twitter uh, at Swear I'm Not Paul. If you want to contact me over there, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. Please do subscribe to the pod, of course, and you know, give us a rating if you're feeling generous. Uh, it is a big help. Talking foosball fantasy with uh, James Thurgood and Flo Reinecke. They will be back in action later in the week. They have all the tips that will help you score big on match day 22. Anyway, bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all. Thank you.